0: Well, if you're an avid reader and you like to sit in your recliner or on your couch and read about finance, boy, do we have a show for you this week on making money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Ron, we do this every year. A lot of people want to know more about investing and they want to know the best vehicles in which to get that information. We like to think our podcast is the best, but also you recommend a lot of reading for people and this is the show where we delve into that. What do, you, what do you got on your list this year? Well,
1: we strategically Gord try to do it around Christmas time as well because just about everybody in their family has someone who's highly motivated to make money, likes investing, is interested in finance, and so most of these books we tend to come out with a show around Christmas time because most of these books make great stocking stuffers and something that will be appreciated and not just. Uh, thrown in the trash can five days after the Christmas holiday season is over. So we would like to do this show at this time of year because we generally find it's timely. And uh, I'm a voracious reader. And of course, the financial industry just turns out book after book after book after book. And, and frankly, most of them are probably worth using as paperweights. So is it somebody who
0: has maybe a particularly good run for three months figures? I've got the key to the, the, key to the universe here. I better write a book.
1: <laughs> That's uh, unfortunately how it goes. So, you know, there's just torrents of books and podcasts and things like that out there. And what we try to do in this show over the, you know, I think it's, uh, we're getting close to our 150th episode, Gord. Yeah, I know. It's getting up there. You know, so we've covered just about everything. But what we try to do is we try to separate fact from hype, you know, and so we try to give you books that focus on fact and not hype. We try to give you strategies that work and they're perennial. So they work year after year after year after year. And we're interested in helping you over the long term get to where you're going. And so that's the focus of the books that we have or the insights we try to give you on reading as well.
0: Okay, we broke these down into categories, so let's get started. Best economic insights that you've read about this year?
1: Well, there's so many people that have crazy insights on on markets. And frankly, if you go back and look at the torrent of projections that come out during the December year of what's going to happen in the following year, a lot of them, frankly, just don't happen. And so one of the best books that I've read that really explains uh, what's going on, especially with things that are just over the horizon, like, for example, uh, trading carbon credits, uh, modern monetary theory, where governments say debt really doesn't matter, we're going to give everybody a paycheck, and how this affects debt and inflation. Uh, This is easily the best book I've read on this subject this year, and it exclusively clearly explains many of these issues that we face today and how it will affect the economy, society, and the investment climate tomorrow. So if you're looking at a book that comes at things differently, this one does. And, of course, it says that in spite of what the doomsdayers are thinking, that America certainly has its problems, but it's the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry. So as far as being a place to invest... Uh, United States, in spite of its problems, in spite of its political chasms and and, and uh, the fractures along the social and economic lines that it has, these problems are actually less than other areas, and the thing that America has going for it that most places don't is that it has the flexibility, not only with its people being able to move around, but it has the the manufacturing flexibility, it has the intellectual and moral flexibility that it can move around and be a lot more flexible than most societies can and that allows it to change quicker and faster
0: well that's encouraging that there's a a little bright spot out there somewhere i have been of late thinking to myself it doesn't worry you matter where you look in the world the whole place is a mess it seems everybody's fighting about something so a, a glimmer of hope is welcome what about best
1: financial history well you know, a book I found that uh, gives you some insight onto uh, why governments tax the way they do and the policy that, that they have is a book called Rebellion, Rascals, and Revenue. And it's uh, tax follies and wisdom throughout the ages. It's uh, written by a guy by the name of Joel Fleeman and Michael Keane. And this book has got a lot of really hilarious uh, sections in it because it talks about all the different schemes they used to tax people going back uh, before, uh, before Christ, BC, you know. And they, you know, we're struggling with taxing carbon emissions, for example. Well, in England, they just assumed that if you had a hat, uh, they would tax it because it, they assumed you were richer. They taxed the windows and houses. They would tax beards. So beards <laughs> Yep. Yeah, if the longer your beard, especially in Russia, if you had a beard, they tax it. So the longer your beard, the, the in some places, the more they would tax it. So, you know, that they, they've struggled with taxing just about everything at one time or another. So modern tax policy wasn't dreamed up overnight. <laughs> modern <laughs> tax policy's been around for thousands and thousands of years and you go look at all the struggles that they've had and the things they've taxed some of them are totally hilarious
0: i guess so, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself here if your beard's a little too long it means you're not buying enough razor blades right yeah, here. But, yeah <laughs> it's, it's just
1: oh. so this is a pretty humorous read and it it, it gives you some insight on where taxation could going and uh let me give you a hint probably not all that pretty
0: Yeah. best personal finance
1: it's a book called A Random Walk Down Wall Street by Burton Malkiel. And he's a professor, I think, at, uh, at the sh- Chicago University, uh, which is, uh, has a powerhouse financial uh, department. And he's got key insights in the importance of really keeping your costs down, avoiding the investment hype on Wall Street, uh, he looks at uh, predictions. I mean, we've done a lot of shows over the years on predictions. And, and some of the material I got from those shows from, was from a random walk down Wall Street. And he just goes to show that guys that stand up there pounding on the table, thumping their chest about what's going to happen tomorrow and you need to invest this way or that way, uh, generally they turn out to be wrong. And so if you can keep your, your fees down, especially if you're just starting, you can simplify the investment process through just owning uh, certain index exchange-traded funds, and that's an easy way to get started. So, if you're looking at investing and you've got uh, you want to take some baby steps, uh, this book is written by one of the most influential professors in finance that's alive today, and it's worth a read. I've read it a number of times, and I just find that even after being in the industry over 40 years. Uh, that the information that it gives me, um, I learn something every time I pick it up.
0: Best financial biography. I want to get this one myself. Uh, Alibaba, the house that Jack Ma built.
1: Well, Alibaba, if you're not familiar with Chinese stocks, uh, the equivalent in North America would be Amazon. And so it just shows how uh, Jack Ma built uh, the company in China, how he reached out to the West to get financing. And if you want to understand China, you need to understand their business and culture. And great investors certainly are not just North American capitalists. They come from China as well. Now, there's been a sea change, obviously, in the last three or four months on, on how Chinese uh, China is adjusting to capitalism. But this book still gives you a very, very good understanding of not only Alibaba, but Tencent and uh, Baidu, some of the other companies that... Frankly, our, their equivalents would be uh, things like Facebook or Google. So they have almost a mirror image of our tech market, our tech giants over there. And if you want to understand how these companies were built, because this story threads through Alibaba, but it threads through a lot of the other entrepreneurs that were building their companies uh, contiguously at the same time. So if you're looking at a for a great read on uh, the development of the Chinese tech sector, this is a great way to go.
0: I think the wild card over there, Ron, is that the leader, uh, president, he seems to be on, He's almost like he's on ball bearings. <laughs> he's just rolling around. He, he changes direction so often and so quickly.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, unfortunately, I think that what has happened is these technology companies have gotten so big. He can't control them. And he can't control them, and, and he views that as a threat. Now, in North America, uh, we're going through kind of the same thing, and in Europe, because we're looking at these big tech giants and how much information they have on us. And uh, there's lots of talk about-breaking about them up. Yeah, limiting their power, breaking them up. And frankly, I think that over the next, it just takes a little longer for, for the West. Uh, because we're a democracy and things get messy before decisions are made, whereas in China, you can make some of these decisions a lot more quickly. So I think some of the things that we're seeing in China, in fact, on how technology is being controlled, I think we're going to see maybe not uh, administered the same way, but I think we're going to see restrictions put on uh, tech companies in North America, especially the big tech giants of the U.S., and uh, they're going to be limited by how much information they can gather, uh, the permissions that they have, how intrusive they can be in our lives, and uh, they're going to be throttled down to size. So what you're seeing in China, expect and a slow rerun of that taking place over here.
0: Our favorite three-letter word, tax. Uh, what about a good tax guide, Ron?
1: You know, people always want to find the next investment that's going to double our money. And they pay very, very little attention to the tax consequences of whatever they do. And frankly, for all of us, unless you're making virtually no income, and if you're making no income, you're probably not listening to this show anyways. You've got a bigger, bigger fish to fry, uh, than, than could be offered by the solutions in this show. But for most people, taxation is their biggest expense in life. It's even bigger than having kids. And so you need to know how to protect yourself. And you need to understand. And the problem with most tax guides is they're they're written. It's like reading a medical textbook. All the jargon and the lingo, you can't get past that. Well, the Tax Guide for Investment Advice is by Michael Todry. Uh, this is updated every year, and it's actually written in plain English. And so each year they update the book to uh, envelop all the new tax changes. It's clear, concise, and understandable. And frankly, you know, there's a, there's a little fine tuning done every year to the Tax Act. But if you have one of these books and you even upgraded it every three or four years, uh, that would probably be enough for you to get the bulk of, of strategies that you need to do and, and, and how things like the dividend tax credit works. Um, so everyone who's an investor Needs to spend more time learning about the tax consequences of what they're doing and how to minimize those, and this is the best book I found on that subject.
0: Picking a stock, what's a good? Uh, we've gone over the years. How do you find it? Where, you know, do your research. But is there a is there a book out there that talks about picking selection? Well, this
1: is another book by Marin Katuza who's actually out of Vancouver, and he specializes. He has a research house, and he specializes on on picking. Uh, resource stocks. And that is a real specialty in itself. And for years, resource stocks lay face down in the dirt and nobody paid any attention to them because they'd gone for for a decade or more without even having a pulse. Well, that's changed. And many of these small companies, again, are really starting to rock and roll. And before you stick your foot in and, and start dabbling around, you better know, how to play this sector. And this is the best book that I've read on strategies to pick winning resource stocks.
0: Okay. Final final one here before we get to a couple of questions and we'll we'll tie in a question about reading on that too, but Best Psychology and Behavioral Economics. That sounds pretty heavy.
1: The book is called Nudge and this is the final edition. The first one was written I think in two thousand six. The last one just came out here this summer. And it's written by Richard Thaler, who actually uh, got a Nobel Prize in Economics for, for his work on nudging. And the book discusses the motivation behind human behavior and how to help people make better financial as well as personal decisions by nudging them in the right direction. Now, a good example of this is uh, an experiment they did basically using the, the principles of this book in, in UK companies where they found that to sign up for a company pension plan, the sign-up rate was really low. And when they surveyed people, they found that these people, yeah, 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 I'd like to do that. But people seem to have it hard, find it hard to get the internal momentum uh, to do some of these things. They just can't seem to, to generate enough forward momentum to go and fill out the forms. So instead, what they did is if you joined a company, you were automatically enrolled in their pension plan. And if you wanted to get out of it, you had to sign a form that would take you out. And they found that when they, they reversed that, so they made it easy to get in, a little harder to get out, that the majority of the people that said that they wanted to be in the plan actually got in the plan because it was a def- default option. And uh, they also use this uh, example in restaurants, especially some of the the hospital cafeterias. And they were finding that uh, people that would go, that were in the hospital, if they went to the cafeteria, they would often, if the junk food was presented first, they would fill up their plate with uh, fried food and sugary stuff. But if they changed the order of things, so if they put the vegetables and they put the fruit and they put the whole wheat breads and the really healthy stuff at the beginning, people would load up their plates with that. So Nudge is just a book on on helping people or motivating people to, to make decisions that they normally would make anyways. It's just, it's just presenting them in an order that makes it more likely that they'll do it. And frankly, if you've got kids, if you're trying to persuade someone financially to do the right thing or you've got a company and you scratch your head, can't figure out why, more people haven't signed up for, for uh, a stock savings plan or some of the, the financial resources you're offering them, read this book.
0: So, there you go some reading suggestions. Uh, if you didn't get the particular order, you can go back and recap the episode and catch up on them. We also have some questions that listeners have sent to us, Ron, that we want to address. And the first one in that regard was, was something that we've we've talked about, and these are financial publications that you seem to favor, that you think offer up good information, but the listener wasn't sure which podcast that information was contained in. So if you want to recap.
1: Well, there's the ones that I've been personally getting for years, and this is Barron's Magazine, which comes weekly. And... Uh... It, uh, it covers economic trends. It also looks at specific stocks, looks at what's happening internationally, and it does so without the spin of, you know, unfortunately, when you listen to uh, major news channels in Canada and U.S. and Europe, it always has an agenda, either a conservative or a liberal or a progressive. They always throw in some kind of spin. And what I like about Barron's, it just reports on what's happening and what the economic consequences will be. If you've got a particular spin on things or or, or view of the world through whether you're a Green or you're a Democrat or you're a Liberal or Conservative, wherever you fit, uh, they leave it up to you to figure out where you want to be on that spectrum. But as far as is what they report, they just tell you what it is. And and I, I really like that.
0: So another question, Ron, that comes to us from Steve Maybe a bit of a technical question. Calculating and tracking the adjusted cost basis related on both ETFs and individual stocks. Well,
1: uh, Steve, I think, was asking a question, Gord, about uh, whether the tracking software that most of the financial uh, uh, places that um, are custodians, or if you have a discount account or a full service account, do are the uh, accounting packages now sophisticated enough to track this stuff? And the answer is yes. Um, 10, 10, 15 years ago, I would have said no, because I frankly would spend between January and the end of April uh, calculating adjusted cost bases and things like that for people, because uh, the, the the firm's software just wasn't accurate enough to capture it. But over the last few years especially, the software has gotten very, very good. So, frankly, if you just print off a statement and use the the information that you're given, unless t- told otherwise, it actually reflects what you paid for a stock. Adjusted cost base is, you know, if the company's bought back some of the shares, uh, if it's returned capital to you, it adjusts all that in your purchase price. So, yes, uh, use the. I think you can quite comfortably use the software they're putting out now and just use the numbers that it provides, it saves you a lot of work.
0: And our third and final question comes to us from Alan, Ron, and that's about your thoughts on SMAs. For example, having investments placed with a firm like Scotia Wealth, SMAs are separately managed
1: accounts, correct? A separately managed account really is just an acronym for uh, an account that uses hedge funds. And hedge funds are designed to zig when the market zags. And the the problem with hedge funds is that everybody uses them, uh, says they're a performance and enhancer. But uh, I think a few people few people remember the bet that Warren Buffett made with a prominent hedge fund manager who had a company. And what they did was they would screen all these thousands and thousands of hedge funds and predict the ones that would perform the best. Anyways. Uh, the bet was a million dollars after a 10-year period that would go to any charity of of the winner's choice if the loser had to pay. And so Warren Buffett put his money, I think, in the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, which buys the, the 500 stocks in the S&P 500 and just hangs on to them. And whereas the hedge fund manager, was his job was to pick the best hedge funds. Anyways, after a, the 10 years, uh, Warren Buffett's, Uh, S&P 500 ETF outperformed the uh, so-called sophisticated programs uh, that picked hedge funds by, I think, almost three times. So it was performance of, of, I think, 11% versus less than four. So, you know, it was three and a half times anyway. So um, I always look at hedge funds are generally expensive and hedge funds often are more of a boat anchor to returns than uh, a positive influence uh, for them. So, yeah, can you have a few hedge funds in your portfolio? Uh, Because there are some out there that have done okay. Yeah, but as a rule, hedge funds don't deliver their promises. That's for sure. And just going back a little bit, uh, Gord, a couple other newsletters that a a listener could probably use is I get investment reporter, which covers the Canadian scene, and I also go get investment quality trends, which is, covers blue chip stocks in the U.S. scene that pay dividends and grow them regularly. So with those three, uh, an investor should be getting just about all the information they need to uh, build very nice portfolios of high quality stocks.
0: So there you have it. Questions answered. Remember, if you do have a question or a show suggestion, you can reach us through our website at letsmakemoney.ca. Also through our friends at cfcw.com, the portal where the show is hosted. We're back next week with another edition of Making Money and a topic that's very near and dear to the hearts of many Albertans and other Canadians as well, pipelines. We hope you can join us then. We'll be back with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.